You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Aubameyang finds a route out of Arsenal. The Bundesliga welcomes another American, and Kylian Mbappe has reportedly figured out his next move. I'm Heath Pierce, and I'll be breaking down all of the deadline day drama with the cream of CBS Sports soccer writers crop, James Benz, Jonathan Johnson, and Roger Gonzalez. The Kegelasso January transfer window deadline day recap begins right now. Everyone, thanks for tuning in. Leave us a comment, like the video, and subscribe to the channel, and hit the notification bell while you are at it. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor and leave Kay Golasso a rating and a review. It only takes a few seconds, and it helps us to continue to make free episodes like this. James Binge, what is going on, my man? Hey, man. How you doing? I am I'm knackered. I'm dead. It's been 16 hours, I think, since work started today. But the window's finally closed. Thank goodness for that. We can actually watch some football. Was it uh, a window uh, to be remembered? Was it uh, underwhelming to you? I mean, obviously, it all comes down to the wire for you, but uh, just want to get your overall sort of take on the window itself. I mean, I think for, for a January window, it's, it's been quite dramatic. We've seen some really big signings across Europe. You know, Dusan Vlavic, a huge one for, for Juventus, a huge capture there. Luis Diaz to to Liverpool, which we may well come come on to talk about. Lots of business at Tottenham as well and, um, you know, high drama at Arsenal. I think kind of on the excitement front, this window is, has really delivered. I don't know if you think the same. And we've seen loads of more great opportunities for, for young Americans across the continent as well. So I think this has been a great window for entertainment perspective. Yeah, and just overall in terms of the activity, do you think some of that shifted because of the the seasonality of the World Cup or just the busyness of the condensed schedule? Do you think some of that forced moves in a way that it hadn't in the past, or do you just think it was just a more active window uh, in terms of its excitement than, than, your, than your normal January transfer window? I definitely think the World Cup plays a part in this. We see this, you know, this is almost like the summer transfer window before a standard World Cup because players will be really conscious of how little time there is between the start of next season and the start of the World Cup, that there and how that there's no real like international breaks there. These are the opportunities that that players have to to get game time to make sure they're going into international camps in the summer and in the spring with loads of reps in their system. So certainly, I think that's made a big difference. I mean, if you look at, I know he didn't get his move, but if you look at something like Jesse Lingard, I mean, I was told by some people, you know, around the clubs that were interested in him, that a big thing for Lingard was I might need the whole year to get back in Gareth Southgate's plans. And I'm certain he wouldn't be alone in that. Yeah, that's a great shout. Let's actually, let's let's get into some of these uh, deadline day transfers. Um, obviously, you just mentioned uh, Blaovic uh, going to to Juventus. Was there any last minute talks? Was there any capability? Because there, there obviously was some big movements at Arsenal. Was there any further talks of him or did that fade out pretty quickly over the last couple of weeks? You know, I have to say, Arsenal... Certainly, we're interested in Dusan Vlahovic. That is very much true. But they never made a bid. You know, they they had had conversations with his agent, but I think they knew quite one of those, early on. It was one of those, uh, you know, like we're only going to do it if you actually want to mm. do it type of things. Yeah, exactly. And they knew pretty early on that that he wasn't really that interested. Um, to an extent, from, from what I've been told, I think there's a view that. Uh, the possibility that he might go to Arsenal was quite an effective way of smoking out other teams to, to kind of push them to do the deal now, which helped Fiorentina an awful lot in terms of making sure that they saw with 18 months left on his contract, about 17 months, not 12. So, and this does happen in Italy, I think it's fair to say, that Deals kind of, you know, clubs get you. It happened with Manuel Locatelli as well in Arsenal. Mm -hmm. Clubs' names appear an awful lot in these these talks. And yes, there's interest. You know, who would not be interested in Dusan Vlahovic? But it never really got anywhere. And, you know, the same for players like Alexander Izak. Basically, Arsenal's view was, can we bring forward a signing we were going to make in the summer to help with top four? So they were looking at Vlahovic, Izak, Calvert-Lewin, Jonathan David. Um, two of the last two of those were not for sale at all. Lille and Everton have, have other priorities before the summer when they may well be available. 
Izak, they didn't want to play, pay a hundred million dollar release clause, and, and we just discussed Vlavic. I think he was only ever really interested in in Juventus or a, or a guaranteed Champions League team. So well, it's been a weird one at Arsenal, and I think that's what we're going to come on to discuss, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, you talk about using that to smoke out some of the other teams in terms of declaring interest or the interest from Arsenal. I mean, how much do you think that interest in itself uh, on Arsenal's side was to smoke out other teams to to potentially move Aubameyang? And, and su- suggesting that they're looking to replace him. I mean, obviously, joins Barcelona on a loan move. I mean, what's your overall, overall take uh, on this, and how did it all go down? So, actually, it's not a loan move. That's one thing that's worth saying. Wow. This is a free transfer. He free. has left Arsenal, or, or we're waiting for this to be announced, but he's leaving Arsenal. There is no coming back. Um, remarkable ending for a player that, you know, I know time has worked differently <laughs> over the last few years. But it's about 18 months since he signed a new contract. And, you know, that was entirely down to Mikel Arteta making this convincing case that he would be the man he would build around for the future. 18 months later, he is bombed out with Arsenal, basically just taking someone that's willing to pay, you know, willing to take him. Aubameyang has has taken a pay cut. Um, Worth talking about, because I reported about this a lot. We broke the story on CBS. Um, How big of a pay cut are we talking about? A sizable, significant. So from what I've heard, Arsenal uh, will offer some wage support until the end of this season, but he'll be on a pay cut from then. He turned down an offer from Saudi Arabia that would have kept him on that same salary for three and a half years. Um, a big part of this was him just going somewhere where he's really happy. Um, and I think, you know, Barcelona is important. Uh, it was an important deal for him. For Arsenal, they do at least get about $30 million off their wage books but letting him go unreplaced uh, I find really hard to believe because you know right now they're in a top four race and Mm. even if you don't plan to start him even if he's someone that's coming off the bench you know you're going to miss the goals of a player like Aubameyang Um, and yeah gone unreplaced Arsenal have not signed uh, anyone any European players they've signed one American and they're going to sign another but um, yeah letting Aubameyang go big bit of business a, a deal that um, this morning, I was certain was going to happen. Um, about, but it, it took so many twists and turns. I, I know I've talked for a while, but hopefully this story illuminates it. About eleven o'clock this morning, um, I sent a text to someone senior at Arsenal, going, "I see Abamyang's landed in Barcelona. You know, I, I assume everything's agreed now, and uh, you know, asking for some from bit, some bits of info to help with the piece." And they said, well, he, "He's not in Barcelona," <laughs> and you end up copying and pasting this tweet saying no, no here he is here's the video of him mm-hmm. which gives you a sense of the drama a few hours later it was called off and we were being told that Bamiyang had had just happened to go on a, a family holiday to visit family near uh the area just happened to do that today um yeah. but in the end around 7 p.m oh, the issue was going to be that the Barcelona couldn't afford to loan him but then around 7 p.m they got back around the negotiation table and, and agreed this this free transfer so another yeah big Arsenal player just going away for nothing just so Arsenal can get rid of them. Yeah, and, and you know, and I want to get your, your final thoughts on, on the success you think you'll have at a club like that if you think it was the situation or the setup or the quality or the lack of being happy at Arsenal or if he's rounded that corner because ever since he signed his new deal, he never really delivered in the way that he did before his new deal. Natalie Cross says, can someone explain to me where Barcelona is finding the money to sign these players? I mean, they took out, they, they got a major loan from Goldman Sachs. Uh, early, either early this year or late last. I don't, you know, I didn't really think that was for the paying of 32-year-old strikers <laughs> but for signing Adama Traore on loan. But it seems that's what they want to do. Because remember, and I'm sure we'll come to talk about it, they didn't get Usman Dembele off the books, but they mm-hmm. still signed Aubameyang anyway. So I, I, I really can't explain other than look at what Barcelona have done before. Huge, huge expenditure. Um uh, you know, as we're seeing Fabrizio's tweet there, you know, it, it's big savings for Arsenal and big investment for Barcelona, even if the salary is slightly less. So um, I can't explain it. I think he will get back to something better than he was before at mm-hmm. Arsenal. I think a lot of complaints from the people I spoke to around Aubameyang where his role was never consistent. He'd, you know, he'd always played best with a striker alongside him. Right. Um but that he wasn't really being put in position to get the ball, to take shots. And I think that more of that will come with Xavi at Barcelona. But he's still, you know, he's not going to be the player he was a few years ago. He's not, he's lost that burst. 
Um, and that was such a key part to his game. So he will be better than he was in an Arsenal shirt, but he might not be as good as, as Barcelona need. Yeah, and also another thing of note, obviously, Espanyol not willing to sell Raul de Tomas. Um, but elsewhere in, in the Premier League, Spurs picking up Bentaker and Kulusevski. Obviously, we saw a lot of the rumors over time with Weston McKinney being part of that contingent of like two, three player deal, being able to move over to Spurs. Um, they join over from Juve, obviously. Brian Hill joins Valencia, Los Celso to Villarreal. Bergwin's Ajax move falls through in the final moments. Is there anything notable of that that you have the inside scoop on or something that was surprising to you on a day like today? I mean, what's been surprising and notable is the real commitment from Antonio Conte to pretty much strip creative players out of his midfield. If you look at who's gone, Giovanni Lo Celso, um, someone that, that that's really a Conte decision to move on from. I think there are a lot of people at the club who who were quite surprised by that. Tangi and Dombele, less of a surprise. And Deli Ali as well, not that much of a surprise. And one thing that's really interesting around Tottenham is there seems to be a willingness now to do deals that aren't kind of perfect for them just to start afresh. Mm-hmm. You know, a player like Delhi, they've turned down a lot of interest in him in the past because the offer isn't quite right. But there's a real understanding that if Antonio Conte's in charge, you're going to have to spend more. You're going to have to commit more, but that it may, be, may well be rewarded at the back end with, with silverware, with top four finishes and, and the things that matter to Tottenham. So, it's been really noticeable that this team has been kind of heavily recrafted to give Conte the sort of players he likes. You know, he loves workers in midfield, yeah. dynamic players like Ben Danko. You know, the the forwards, it, it, it's much more of a sort of forward line that's built around inside forwards and Harry Kane. And, and you know, a lot of the creativity is going to come not from an Ndombele or La Chelsea playing the final pass, but from that that five-man attack, the wing-backs, the inside forwards and Kane and stretching the pitch that way. So, it's certainly, you know, it's a squad that's very quickly starting to take on the image of, of Conte after just one window. And it's generally quite a good idea to build around this manager. Do you think that they're now automatically or or even more so in a top four contention with the team that they're building? Or is this a build for the future? You hope that you has instant payoff, obviously going to much more of a pragmatic style of play, um, much, much more of that workhorse type of mentality in terms of the team that they're a squad that they're building. And also being willing to cut ties with players that we've seen say, you know, you know, they have those flashes, they're exciting players, but maybe don't sit, fit the system of the last couple of managers. Yeah, I, I certainly think it's not, this isn't a, a short-term thing uh, or a long-term thing. Sorry, this is, a, for Tottenham, even though there is this sort of long-term Antonio Conte project, we all know that that's not a 10-year thing, that's a three-year thing. And I think this is really about getting in the Champions League this season. All of the clubs... All of the, you know, the three, the trio of Arsenal, West Ham and Spurs, I don't think they thought they'd be in this position. And all three of them, actually, if you look at what they do, they, they have tried to be quite aggressive and really attack the window. And in some on occasions, that's backfired. We should say Spurs have got in Kulisevsky and they have got in Bentancur, but they've missed out on a lot of players they wanted. Mm-hmm. They didn't get the right wing back that was top of uh, Conte's list with, with Adama going to, to Barcelona. They didn't get Luis Diaz. Um, one of one of the funniest stories of the window. They didn't get Oli Tanner, who plays in the Isthmian Premier League. That that deal collapsed. So it's not been a perfect window, but I think with them, they felt a real pressure to give the manager what they want. And you know, there's a belief that give this guy something, and he will make something special out of it. And he's proved that time and time again. But yeah, you see Arsenal swinging big at a striker, uh, West Ham putting in a bid for Darwin Nunez. They all thought top four might be there for the taking if we can strengthen the squad. Yeah, uh, Spurs are the only ones, or certainly the ones that might be this, where they were and maybe a, a little bit better yeah. off. Yeah. So I think they'll feel like top four is kind of there for the taking now. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the only team really willing to take that big chance, whether it works out or not, is to be seen. Al C says players that were supposed to be creative anyway when referencing Spurs, Geo yeah. and Ndombele have been uh, massive disappointments. Yeah, I mean, that is absolutely fair, isn't it? Especially Ndombele, um, fantastic player to watch on his day. But, you know, I think sometimes we use words like creativity and I'm sure you feel this as a centre-back watching these guys in front of you. That can't be a sort of excuse for not putting in effort, for not running hard, for not winning the ball back. And I think it's with both of these players, 
it was a bit it was too inconsistent mm-hmm. for all the for all the sacrifices you had to make without the ball. Yeah. That's maybe true with more of Ndombele without the ball. But but neither of them were were putting up, you know, ten assists and three chances created, ten assists a season, three chances created a game. They weren't good enough to to justify everything else and, and the huge fees that had been spent on them. That's well said. Well, it looks like we're gonna welcome in uh our next and our next guest to join the conversation, Jonathan Johnson, joining us. Jonathan Johnson, thanks you, man. Thank you for joining us, man. How are you? Hey there, guys. Doing very well. Thanks. Uh, my fingers slightly warmer than they were about half an hour ago when I was sat through an absolutely awful goalless draw between PSG and Nice in the Coupe de France, which ended up with PSG crashing out on penalties. But uh, now back in the warmth of my own home, thankfully. Oh, I thought you were going to say just from firing off tweets for the last 16 hours around the, oh, no, that, uh, around the transfer window. It has literally window. been sustaining me through the entire 90 minutes. And funnily enough, my first ever competitive penalty shootout as a journalist. So at least there's some silver lining. I like that. I like that. Well, let's move on. Uh, you know, Now that we've got you, let's talk a little bit about the what fell through with the Lingard deal. Obviously, uh, James Benji mentioned that a little bit, um, was linked to Newcastle, linked to us, Tam, but uh, what ended up happening in the end? It, it was it, it, two two different arguments here for why they didn't let him go. West Ham, very simple. And they, West Ham never really had a chance because Man United view them as top four rivals and they know that Lingard will strengthen that team nine goals in 16 games when he was on loan there at the second half of the, the season. Newcastle United... There was a kind of sense today for a moment that the stars might align. But in the end, Manchester United were asking for initially a bonus of £12 million if Newcastle avoided relegation on top of Lingard's fee, uh, wages being covered in full on top of a £2 million loan fee. It was going to cost them something like a million pounds a week to have Jesse Lingard, which I'm sure John can tell you, that's more than a lot of PSG players earn, possibly more than any PSG player earns. Lingard's a pretty good player, but I don't know if I'd have him over Neymar. You know, that that Newcastle kind of inched towards that, but it was never quite going to happen. It wasn't quite, you know, worth it from their perspective. I mean, we will see. I think if you look at the value of staying up, should Newcastle go down, I'm sure they will be thinking, God, maybe we should just have spent that 12 million on Lingard. Um, but it looks like with the other business they've done, I think they can be relatively confident of staying up. I mean, obviously, we talk about Dan Byrne, the Dan Byrne signing. Uh, what, Jonathan Johnson, what's your thoughts on that? Um, and, and JJ, want your take as well on this? I mean, I think Newcastle have probably done as well as they could have hoped in this transfer window. I'm, I'm never a big believer that you can get, well, especially as a club like Newcastle, you know, newly minted that they will ever get sort of the the targets that they initially set themselves. You know, the first sort of transfer window or two, everyone sees them coming. Uh, so it's very difficult to do reasonable business. And I think sort of in terms of the situation that they're in, in, in facing a battle to, to stay up and, and maintain their Premier League status, I think that they've done reasonably well, uh, you know, and, and guys like Dan Byrne coming in, Matty Target, uh, you know, reflect that. I think they have done some good business. Uh, you know, Bruno Guimaraes, if they stay up, I think is a fantastic signing for them. Matty Target was a very consistent performer for Villa. You know, perhaps not the sort of attack-minded fullback that many people crave, uh, you know, but I don't think by any stretch of the imagination he was a weak link in that Villa back line. So I think that Newcastle can, you know, feel feel happy with some of these additions that they've made late on. But as James was saying, you know, somebody like Lingard, when you've seen what he could do, especially during that productive loan spell with West Ham last season, you know, he really could be the difference maker for Newcastle. I do still think that they have enough, uh, especially given this late flurry of business to stay up. But, you know, somebody like Lingard probably would have pushed them over that bump and, and you know, maybe even had them looking towards mid-table by the end of the season. Benj, do you think a hesitance with some of that had to do with the, the Greenwood situation and perhaps Lingard having a, a larger role? No. Uh, I, I was told that um, Manchester United was still happy to let let Lingard go. He's not really in, um, in, in Ralph Ranić's plans and obviously as well, that, that, you know, in terms of squad numbers. Um, 
Anthony Alanga's emergence has, has offered uh, Ranić another option. Just maybe you know offering our listeners an upgrade uh, update on the the Greenwood situation. Um, Greater Manchester Police have have successfully um, applied. I, I believe it's successful for an extension um, to his arrest. He's he's obviously under arrest for, under suspicion of um, assault and rape. Um, UK laws on this thing mean that there's not not too much we can talk about it while it's an active criminal case. But um, yeah, he's also been suspended. Oh, he, he's he's still being paid by Manchester United, but suspended. And uh, Nike, his his sponsor, have suspended their relationships with him while the while the criminal process is ongoing. Makes sense. And uh, JJ, for you, uh, you know, the Ericsson to Brentford move was that something that that, that you saw coming? And and what do you make of it? I mean, I think everybody has been extremely curious to see where Ericsson would resurface, uh, you know, after it became obvious. And, and let's be honest, it was obvious pretty early on um, that there was never going to be a way back for him with Inter Milan. Once people started looking into the rules, realised that it's it's just impossible to play with uh, a heart starter. Uh, you know, it was basically a question of time to see when Ericsson would, would announce, if he would announce that he could return to playing football. And if he could, uh, you know, then where he might resurface. I know that there was uh, a fair bit of expectation that he might go to Ajax, uh, like uh, Daily Blint. But, uh, you know, to see him come back to the Premier League, to see him come back to London with Brentford is, you know, it, it's really heartwarming. And I think it's definitely the the feel, one or, or you know, probably the feel good story of this uh, of this transfer window uh, and I'm hopeful I'm hopeful that he can uh, you know pick off uh, pick up where he left off you know he managed to turn things around admirably uh, with Inter Milan let's not forget that he did make a slow start there uh, ended up uh, you know being an Italian champion uh, and was pretty much Denmark's key player going into the ill-fated Euros uh, you know and I'm I, I really have my fingers crossed that he can uh, you know re not necessarily rebuild his career, but just resume it, uh, you know, and, and sort of still be performing at that that same high level because Ericsson on his day, one of the the the, the classiest players in Europe to, to watch in action. It's worth saying as well, we talk about this a lot and rightly so, and JJ's explained it really well from a non-footballing perspective, from a personal perspective. But actually, if you think about things on the pitch, one of Brentford's great strengths this season and in past seasons has been how dangerous they are at set pieces. You know, you have Ivan, Tony, Pontus, Janssen, tall, strong players. They've now got one of the best free kick takers of their generation delivering dead balls. So aside from, you know, how great it will be to see him back in London and, you know, for him to get this wonderful reception and be back in the world's top league, it's a great footballing deal for Brentford. I think if, if Ericsson is able to, to play as he still is and, I think we can be pretty certain he'll still be able to to put a cross on the sixpence like he used to before. So a brilliant deal. Great signing. My, my favourite of the window. Well, that's well said. And obviously Man City signed Julian Alvarez. But the big uh, one of the bigger moves of, of, the, of the window was Everton's uh, activity. JJ uh, and, and James obviously won both of your takes on this from from Lamps to Donny to Deli Alley. I mean, what do you what, what's your overall scorecard, I guess? Uh, what grade would you give? Everton in their attempts to, to to clean up the season with the signings they've made, including a manager. Well, let, let James let me, have a first swing at it. Yeah, let me hop in first. I, I was doing the the winners and losers for the um, transfer window, something I always would rather do about three months later, but you've got mm-hmm. to do it now. Um, and I gave real consideration to putting Everton at the top of this list. I think their business has been fantastic. Now, and actually, it was Delhi kind of put me off it. But when you look at the structure of this deal, they're paying nothing until next season. When if he's made 20 appearances, I believe they pay 10 million. And there are subsequent clauses that could send this right the way up to 40 million. I don't think that will happen. Um, but it's a real great move. Donny van der Beek as well, a, a really impressive reclamation project. He hardly played for Man United, but when he did, he was often very good and really brought the best out of the forwards. Um, then actually going further back in the window, Nathan Patterson and uh, Vitaly Mikolenko, great signings. And JJ won't like me for saying this, but it's also in the column. I think they've done great work getting off Luca Dean now before his decline hits in. Um, and I think this may well be the start of the window where the transitory property of slightly too wealthy Premier League basket case club moves to Aston Villa, who have just signed the flop 
unlocked creative talisman from a La Liga giant, Felipe Coutinho, playing the <laughs> James Rodriguez role, who have just bought a Danny Ings. A bizarre, obviously bought him in the summer. Slightly bizarre deal that when Ollie Watkins was so good. Luca Dean as well. I'm telling you, Everton have got a long way to go, but I think they're on the right path in this window and the, they've got a successor for Basket Case Club. You know what? I was reading through Benji's notes and I just felt aggressively targeted when I saw that <laughs> section on Villa. <laughs> it's like he wrote it with uh, with Luis Miguel and I in mind. I, I mean, you know, the 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 jury will obviously be out uh, for a while on Dean. I have to say, he started life with Villa fairly well. Uh, you know, the the feel good factor is still very much around uh, Villa Park. But when I'm looking at those Everton deals, taking it back to the original topic. I think they have done, uh, you know, some very good business, you know, especially given how close to the end of the transfer window uh, they ended up plumping uh, for for Frank Lampard. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, they, they moved quickly and decisively, uh, you know, acting on, uh, you know, the players, the types of players that, that he's requested. I'm curious to see how he manages somebody like Anwar El Ghazi, obviously keeping that, that Villa-Everton link going because... El Ghazi is someone who was brought in before Everton knew that they were going to appoint Lampard as coach. And he's somebody who on his day can make the difference and is a very handy player. But he will probably put in about two really good convincing performances every 10 games. And that's you know not really enough at this at, at the level for a club like Everton or Villa. So for me, I think that you know there are potentially some factors to, to Everton's business that might drag this down. Uh, but uh, you know I do think overall it's been quite a positive end to the to the transfer window for them. I'm envious of them picking up Donny van der Beek because he's somebody I was hoping Villa would move for even before Dean Smith was replaced as, uh, as as coach. I know he might not have been necessarily the best fit in terms of what Villa were looking for uh, in the transfer window. But van der Beek is somebody who I'm really convinced uh, you know has uh, a bright future in the Premier League. I'm frustrated that we haven't really been able to see it because he was just so so good uh you know for Ajax uh before he moved to United and it's been really frustrating to see how he's never really been sort of unleashed by United and given that opportunity to show what he can do so I'm really hopeful now that he can enjoy himself over this second half of the season uh you know and it'll be interesting to see where Everton finished given this late um influx of quality that they've got that's well said. And that is your wrap-up on Premier League. All of the inside scoop. James Benz, before we see you off to go to bed for the evening after a very long day, is there any final thoughts, anything you didn't mention or anything you want to get off your chest now that this window is closed? Yeah, um, an intriguing one that, that, that just collapsed after we started recording. Um, others have reported it, and I just had a chance to check my phone. Um, hearing that Fabio Cavallo will not be moving to Liverpool in this window, he will quite possibly be moving in the summer when his contract with Fulham expires. Fantastic young player who's who's had a really good impact in the championship, eight goals and two assists. He is going to be someone that they will snare. And Fulham can attest from experience that you do not get much money from a tribunal, which is where the, their fee will be set. I think the offer was somewhere up to 10 million. Um, if they they managed to get the deal done this month, they might get a few million if that, um, when he moves his, on, a, on a free transfer. So, Fabio Carvalho, name to watch out. And I think Liverpool, if they can get this deal done in the coming months, they'll feel like they've really got a bargain now. Well said. Well, thank you so much, James Benj. We appreciate all of your hard work, your inside scoop, and your willingness to stay up all hours <laughs> to report on. Even later for JJ. Yeah, that's fair. That's true. But we're going to, when I send JJ off, I'll give him an even bigger compliment. <laughs> you just won't be here to see it. So thank you so much, James Benj. Cheers. Thank you. All right, JJ. Let's move on to a uh, little bit of Ligue 1. What's been going on there? Some PSG news as well as, uh, as, well as uh, perhaps some, some, some Bundesliga uh, transfer news that have come down the wire. So uh, I guess, you know, to, to address the 800-pound gorilla, what is the deal with Mbappe and, and, and what are you hearing on your end? Yeah, well, it's interesting because we had those build reports saying that, uh, you know, basically the deal with Real Madrid's been agreed. There's now been, um, you know, a, a distancing um, from Mbappe's entourage saying, you know, nothing of the sort uh, has been agreed, uh, you know, denying all of those reports. 
there was never going to be any confirmation of anything like that before PSG have played both of their games against Real Madrid. How those matches pan out, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. It doesn't bode well, um, them crashing out of the Coupe de France the way they did against Nice. Uh, you know, and really... You look at PSG's performance in this transfer window as well. I mean, okay, they managed to get a couple of guys off of the wage bill. You've got Rafinha, Sergio Rico out. But, I mean, it's really lackluster considering the PSG were looking to bring in someone like Ndombele, uh, who would have given them, uh, you know, a major injection of quality in midfield despite, uh, you know, how how flaky many people view him uh, as, as a player after his time with Spurs. Uh, you know, and I think it just rubs salt in the wounds, really, that Leon have not only gone and brought Ndombele back to Leon, uh, you know, at least until the end of the season on loan. I'm not convinced they'll be activating that option to buy, given it's so high, but we'll see how it plays out. But the, the bit of business that I'm most envious about from a PSG point of view is Leon getting Roman Fevre, a guy I rate really, really highly coming in from Brest, who I think have also incidentally done uh, good business in replacing him with Belayli, the, the Algerian international on a free transfer. That's very, uh, you know, good value, I think. Uh, but Leon signing Fevre, again, somebody who has been looked at by a number of big European clubs, AC Milan, were very, very keen on him. PSG were taking a look as well. So for Leon to have suddenly gone from selling Bruno Guimaraes to, to Newcastle and people saying, you know, what, what's going on here? What direction are Leon moving in? Uh, you know, they, they've suddenly managed to, to pull it out of the bag and they look even better than PSG. So a lot of negativity uh, around Parc des Princes right now. And it's not just that situation with Mbappe that you mentioned earlier. Uh, you know, it's it's a lot of uh, a lot of reasons. You know, there's no return to fitness, uh, you know, looking likely in the next week or so for Neymar. Same goes for Sergio Ramos. And we've got this Real Madrid Champions League clash looming on the horizon, you know, less than a fortnight away now. It's... It, pressure really is turning up on Maurizio Pochettino and this poor performance in the transfer window won't have helped. Yeah, and you, when you look at the uh, Usman Dembele staying put at Barcelona, was there was there, was there there anything uh, sizable or legitimate with a move out for him or or was that always going to be the case, at least from, from what you're hearing? Well, I know that our friends at Chiringuito, uh, you know, had their had had their moment in the sun with the the, the video footage of of Dembele's agent and Leonardo calling him. There is interest from PSG in signing Dembele. There, there always will be when you have a senior France international like that who's available on a free transfer. Did they look into bringing him in this month? Yes, but the thing with PSG and bringing in anybody like her Dembele, like an Endombele, uh, it was always going to depend on them getting some big earners out of the door. And the problem is those big earners are so, um, you know, they're, they're so dug in um, at PSG that it was always going to be very difficult to just force them out because there's so few clubs that can A, offer them the same standard of football that the PSG can offer them being in the Champions League. But also, you know, the the, the sizable pay packets that they command as well. So PSG were always fighting an uphill battle for that. Will they come back in for Dembele, uh, you know, ahead of the summer? I imagine that they probably will. We'll see what happens in the Champions League and, and what Pochettino's future is. I don't think he'll be coach uh, for PSG next season. The expectation in Paris is that it'll be Zinedine Zidane coming in. Will it be Leonardo calling the shots transfer-wise? If it's not, you know, that could potentially end up sending Dembele somewhere else. But to be perfectly honest, I think that if PSG had landed Dembele this transfer window, it wouldn't really have helped their problems much. Sure, in the very short term, it would have given them a boost in attack, given that Neymar's still out and he's going to need a little bit of time to, to get back to full fitness. Mauro Riccardi can't hit a barn door and hasn't been able to for the past year or so. Uh, and, you know, I think that really the position we've known for a long time that PSG needed to, to strengthen in was midfield uh, and losing out on Ndombele, even if he wasn't perhaps the ideal fit for PSG in that midfield, uh, you know, is still a big blow, especially when you now look at him going elsewhere uh, in Ligue 1. Yeah, that's well said. And obviously the Sven Botman news came out about him staying put for now, discussing uh, the way uh, Newcastle has a project similar in the similar vein to PSG, what Manchester City have built saying that, you know, uh, it's all about the money, but they said, look at the things that they've built there. Is there, whether you want to touch on that or any other transfers from the window that you haven't had a chance to talk on, uh, you now have the floor. 
Yeah, I mean, Botman, I, I think it's just a question of time, really. Botman, like Jonathan David, is going to be leaving Lille at the end of the season. It's just the fact that Lille were able to advance in the Champions League, did a few bits of shrewd business, like selling Jonathan Icone to, to Fiorentina. That has managed to stave off this necessity to cash in on some of their other potentially larger assets in terms of the transfer fees that they could command. Uh, you know, we're looking at Renato Sanchez, Jonathan David, Sven Botman being, you know, sort of three big-ish uh, transfer fees. Uh, you know, I think David will will dwarf all of them uh, in terms of the, the price that he commands. But I think it's uh, positive for Lille that, that they'll be able to see out the season with them because that boosts their chances of, of getting back into Champions League qualification territory in the league. Uh, you know, and it also gives them a chance to you know try to, to spring an upset uh, in the Champions League against Chelsea. I don't see that happening, but the fact that they're even there, you know, that's already brings in a significant financial yeah. windfall, which could be bettered. Uh, you know, if PSG also crash out uh, at the same stage. Uh, against Real Madrid. So we'll see how that one plays out. But Lille, you know, I think it's just a question of time. You know, we're waiting until the summer. And if Newcastle stay up, I'm sure they'll come back in for Botman and maybe he will, uh, you know, look at that opportunity again and, and want to be one of the first real star names that signs up for uh, the project once they're, you know, guaranteed to start uh, with a clean slate at the beginning of next season in the Premier League. Uh, and if they don't, uh, you know, if Newcastle go down or whatever, or they, they they lose interest in Botman, there won't be any shortage of potential suitors for him. You know, I think most big clubs across Europe know how good he is uh, and they will be looking at him and, and you know, hoping to do business with Lille uh, this coming summer. The I think the, the two main curiosities I have um, in terms of the, the Ligue 1 transfer window is how Saint-Etienne and Bordeaux's moves play out because there's been some very interesting transfers done by both of them uh, late on in this transfer window, both battling to survive in Ligue 1. Uh, Bordeaux have moved to bring in uh, Yosuhe Gilavogi. Uh, they've, they've also been trying to bring in uh, Anel Ahmed Hodzic from uh, Malmo, a very highly rated defender. Uh, you know, they probably not in as bleak a position as Saint-Etienne at this moment in time. But when you look at some of the stuff that's been going on behind the scenes, Laurent Koscielny basically being, you know, released from his contract, yet kept on in some bizarre ambassadorial role, which enables Bordeaux to avoid paying a severance fee uh, is, is quite a bizarre one. Uh, you know, and Bordeaux desperate for points and trying to turn around a really bad run of form. Saint-Etienne in the same boat. They've made a raft uh, of signing some very interesting names coming back to uh, Ligue 1, Enzo Crivelli coming back from, from Turkey just today. A number of uh, defenders, Joris Nyanyon, who was at uh, Sevilla and then was released uh, due to fitness issues. Uh, you've also got uh, Eliakim Mongala, obviously Manchester City fans and Valencia fans will remember him. So, you know, there, there's plenty of pedigree, even for the guys at the bottom of Ligue 1. It's just a question of seeing how they play out. I've already mentioned, uh, you know, seeing how Brest replace Fevre with uh, Belayli. I think that's also one to one to watch. Uh, and obviously, you know, when you've got somebody like a, a Monaco not selling Aurelien Chouameni, uh, at least until this summer, you know, that's another additional star name that we get to continue to enjoy here in France. So, uh, you know, a, an interesting uh, January transfer window, I'd say, in, uh, in Ligue 1, even if it was, uh, you know, sort of with limited star power, uh, so to speak. That's well said. Well, you wanted depth. You got depth. You wanted inside info. You got the inside info from Jonathan Johnson. Thanks so much for joining us, Jonathan. Before we see you off, just as a heads up to everyone, we're going to head to a quick break. When we come back, Roger Gonzalez is going to be joining us from CBS as well to talk about some more transfer news. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, 
taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. There you have it. Roger Gonzalez, thanks for joining us. Before we get into the conversation, just a quick little CTA for everyone. For all of the latest transfer news, make sure to follow Kegel Osso Podcast and subscribe to Kegel Osso YouTube channel. Tomorrow, Fabrizio Romano will be on with LME for a retrospective look at transfer deadline day and the January transfer window as a whole. You don't want to miss it. Roger, how are you, man? Doing great. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thanks for joining me. So obviously, we've got a lot coming out of North America in terms of transfers. Um, you know, we, we obviously had uh, the George Bellow news. Want to get into that. Brendan Aronson staying put with Salzburg. Matt Turner. Uh, obviously, uh, his, his move to Arsenal well public for a few days now. Uh, but I want to start with you with the Austin trustee uh, move, obviously not going until the end of the season. But what's your take on this and what are you hearing about that move? I, I, that came out of left field, I think, for all of us. You know, I think when you look at the Arsenal ownership, obviously, you know, same, same owner as, as the Colorado Rapids, that, that obviously there's that connection that seems to add some sort of, you know, uh, I mean, it makes it makes make a little bit of sense to us, you know, I guess in the end, but I mean, he's obviously a young defender that has some potential. Didn't think uh, something like this would happen. Didn't seem to really be on the radar, you know, for a potential move. So I, mean, I was caught off guard just as, as anybody else. And yeah. I go back to thinking, I think there was a video recently of uh, Mikel Arteta, who was in Colorado uh, visiting with Arsenal owner. I think it was at like a, an avalanche game or something. And I thought about those, like, you know, I wonder if there's anyone in MLS that he would consider. And obviously we saw the Matt Turner thing, which, you know, is still a bit surprising, but makes more sense than I think uh, this move does. But I think it's just, just a long-term, you know, project for them to see if they can help groom a defender that certainly has a lot of quality, but uh, wasn't really on the radar for a move. Yeah. Do you think some of this, I, I guess, temporary clout on his move to Arsenal or being linked uh, up his status with regard to an opportunity in the national team? Obviously he's gotten looks, hasn't really been, uh, selected by Greg Berhalter in the past. Do you think this changes that, or do you think this is, again, one of those let's wait and see how it plays out type of situations? Yeah, I certainly think it's it's the latter, wait, waiting to see how this pans out. I mean, you know, we've all talked about the, the issues Arsenal have defensively. They seem to have, a, you know, a bit more quality there, but I still wonder, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, whether it's next season or two seasons down the road, you know, what minutes for him would look like. So uh, it's a move that I certainly have a lot of questions about. I'm curious to see how how that's going to look. Obviously, he's still going to be with the Rapids uh, for this season, or at least a portion of it. So we'll have to see how this plays out. But I'm completely caught off guard. You know, I was talking to some people just about, you know, hey, what other Americans do we think could move? And I mean, he wasn't on the, the list for anybody. So really surprising. Yeah, and we, obviously, uh, you know, George Bellow is one that we've seen kind of in and out of the national team in terms of his performances, in terms of how ready he is to be on that international <clears throat> stage. We saw these rumors about him joining Circle Bruges, apparently turns that down in the last minute to join uh, Armenia Bielefeld. Is, are, are you it, sort of what, what do you know about this move? Yeah, so the move to, to, the, to Bruges was never going to happen. That wasn't what he wanted. It was what Atlanta wanted. And there was certainly a, a bit of back and forth there, of, you know, almost like a little tug of war as to what could potentially happen. So, you know, with Circle Bruges, they had an offer that was, uh, put, you know, more if he reached certain incentives. But this is a player who knows what his quality is, and he wanted to specifically go to the Bundesliga. He knows that the minutes that young Americans have been able to get there consistently, uh, you know, obviously having a lot of national team players that have played there or who have just recently gone there, looking at, you know, someone like Ricardo Pepe. And so it was kind of a, a back and forth where uh, Bello had the upper hand big time. You know, his contract set to expire. He could have just waited it out and signed with the club, and Atlanta wouldn't have, you know, gotten really anything for him. So he had the ball in his court, got the move that he wanted, and it's certainly an intriguing one. You know, there was some interest from in, in, from, uh, from clubs in Spain as well. Uh, but as I said before, the Bundesliga has been so good to, to our American players, and 
them getting minutes young, you know, young minutes when they're young, being able to develop. Uh, and I think he's somebody who, you know, is going to benefit big time from this move. Yeah, and then obviously uh, Brendan Aronson staying put. There's good incentive for them to keep him there. Obviously, still in the Champions League. Did you did you like the idea of a move to Leeds? Do you think that was a fit? Obviously, there's talk of Marcelo Bielsa wants him, needs him, but nobody knows his status as a manager whether he'd even be around after this year. I mean, what's your overall take on him staying put? Or and did this almost come to fruition? Yeah, he's one of the he's one of the top national team players. I think that that most excites me for for his future and his potential. So crafty on the ball and can can do. Uh, really so much in attack and, and change a game in a second. I think for him, you know, Salzburg is a club that obviously has done wonders for the development of a lot of players. I mean, you know, look back at Erling Holland when he was there. I remember talking to Jesse Marsh when, when he was a coach there and he, this was when they were just in the champions league and, you know, we didn't know much about them. And he was just talking about the young quality there, just how they emphasize the, the getting minutes for these young players and how their development has just gone incredibly well. And I think for Aronson, that's, it's similar for him. I think, you know, while it would have been exciting to see him, you know, in the Premier League right away, you'd wonder, you know, what his minutes would look like. Uh, and he's someone who needs those minutes to, to further his progression. So from what I understand, I've been told that uh, the talks, you know, have continued, but they're shifting focus towards a move in the summer. Uh, Salzburg want him for this Champions League run, which probably won't be that much considering they have Bayern Munich in the round of 16. But they're, they, they know that this is a guy who can continue to show uh, what he's capable of, potentially uh, you know, demand a higher price for him in the summer where, you know, some other teams could potentially get involved, but they'll continue to talk with leads and, and see if they can make something work. Well, Joel, Joel Jimenez said, I'm glad to hear Bello is headed to the Bundesliga. Hopefully he can help uh, Armenia stay up. Obviously that's one of the, the struggles that we see with some of these clubs is you get into these instant relegation battles, which I think helps shape and mold the players, but not always great, especially on the defensive side. Obviously Ricardo Pepe can be the hero on the other end. Uh, I, I wanted to get your take uh, real quick on just, the amount of players moving to the Belgian league. I mean, what is it about the Belgian league that's so attractive? And is the quality there that the move outside of the financials in itself uh, is worth it for a number of these guys? Yeah, I mean, I think it's viewed as a league also where guys can go and, and, and get some minutes. I, I don't think that, you know, it's obviously as appealing of an option as some of these bigger leagues. I look at Mark McKenzie and, you know, how it has, he hasn't had the smoothest time, uh, you know, there. I think for a lot of these guys, you know, we, obviously we're going to see uh, Brian Reynolds playing in Belgium as well. And so I think all these places, you obviously have an opportunity to 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 get some really good experience. But I've always been a firm believer uh, that, you know, the way you get better is by, by playing better, playing against better players. And in these big leagues, they're going to get it day in and day out. You, know, you look at George Bello and you talk about a guy like, you know, Joe Scali, who's getting to face Robert Lewandowski and all these other players so, so consistently. And you see how it's really helped with their progression. They become tougher instantly. They learn more about the game. The speed is obviously a big change for them, and uh, they're able to uh, to adapt quickly. So, you know, the Belgian league, I think it's, you know, not the most popular league. I think it's a decent option, but, uh, you know, I, it's really it's hard to find a spot that's better for, for these young Americans than Germany right now. Yeah, that's well said. And then, obviously, you know, uh, before I before we uh, <clears throat> wrap things up, wanted to get your take on some some of the incoming transfers of uh, Douglas Costa potentially signing with the LA Galaxy, and perhaps any other rumors or, or or transfers that I'm not aware of. Would love to hear your your thoughts and takes before we finish up this episode. Yeah, so the Douglas Costa thing that's been in the works for for a while. Uh, I think it was like a three million dollar offer, uh, salary wise, and. Uh, there was some kind of back and forth there if it would work out or not. Obviously, the Galaxy needs some help there. I mean, for a club that's as big as them in the history that they've had, you know, trying to get back to their winning ways with so many moves that just haven't worked out. And Douglas Costa is a guy who's just kind of fallen off, you know, the face of the earth. You know, we saw him obviously in Italy. He goes to Gremio uh, not long after, you know, they were Copa Libertadores champions. They've gotten relegated since then. Uh, so it's been just really crazy. And this is a player who, I mean, I think, I think we, you know, we both know with his quality, he could come to MLS and, and potentially be uh, an MVP candidate. He's got uh, that much skill. He's got so much speed. Uh, I love this move for the Galaxy. I'm curious to see how it works out and, and how he can maybe uh, develop a bond in the attacking third with Chicharito. Uh, and when it comes to the other moves, you know, more I'm hearing about is just, you know, potentially, you know, more players going to Europe. And the big one I always get you know, asked about is Miles Robinson. Uh, Atlanta has said that there aren't offers. I'm told there have been offers and they don't want to sell them. Uh, I think they're approaching uh, this Miles Robinson thing 
similar to how FC Dallas were with Pepe, wanting to hold on to him, wanting to see him play really well at the World Cup and then see his price just skyrocket. Uh, so he's someone who I think is going to move this year at some point. You know, we know the quality that he has and just how strong he is in the air, especially in, you know in attack too. He's been so good. So I think he's the, you know he's going to be that next big guy to move at some point, and uh, just you know we'll have to come down to Atlanta being willing to negotiate. Yeah, and 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 I guess on that note, Jesus Ferreira signing a new DP deal. What was that uh, with the risk of losing him to another club? Was there interest in there, and that was that was part of the negotiation, or was this all just part of a larger plan, like you said, to perhaps sell him on uh, when his stock gets a little bit higher? Yeah, I mean certainly wanting to to hold on to him as you know having a, a, a you know a proven replacement uh in attack for for you know what they lost in ricardo pepe but also knowing that you know with the national team he's getting his chance uh and you know could potentially uh see his price go pretty high if he can you know play consistently so uh you know he's someone who's gotten interest you know from abroad someone who you know i think we all think will be there at some point uh but fc dallas certainly needed someone like him to to stick around and you know in case they have that quality, adding Paul Ariola to, to make a run this season. Uh, but he's someone that before long, like so many of these young Americans, we can expect to see them in Europe. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for the insight, Roger. Is there any final thoughts that you have, anything you want to share, anything you want to get off your chest before we uh, sign off on this episode? Hey, just it's such an exciting time, the whole transfer window. So many moves that I'm you know, really intrigued to see how they plan out. I think Luis Diaz to Liverpool uh, is the best move. They don't really need him right, with all the quality that they have, but He's an absolutely incredible player that I think can help them, uh, you know, not come back in the league, but in the Champions League. I mean, he's he's just such a fantastic talent. And I think Julian Alvarez to, to you know, to Manchester City, though he'll stay at River Plate. You know, I'm a diehard Boca Junior supporter. I'm glad he'll be gone at some point. But this kid is for real. Uh, he has the potential to be one of the very best strikers in the world. Uh, and I think. You know, they look at City might look at him in the way they looked at Gabriel Jesus, thinking he could come there and be a superstar consistently. Obviously, that hasn't really worked out. But I think with Julian Alvarez, uh, they have the next big thing there. Well, there you have it. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I'll be going live again on Wednesday alongside Jimmy Conrad as we recap the action from USMNT versus Honduras. So make sure to mark your calendars for that one. Jimmy and I will also be doing an extensive preview of Wednesday's octagonal game. So keep your eyes peeled on the Kegelasso podcast feed and YouTube channel for that. And before we go, make sure you follow Kegelasso podcast, leave it a glowing review and a rating. And on the YouTube front, hit subscribe, hit the notification bell. Thank you so much, Roger Gonzalez. Thank you to our producer, Des Moores, and we will see you guys soon.